This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. SCP-6659, Metagnostic. The SCP Foundation's general philosophy is that Humanity is better protected from the anomalous by containing and researching SCPs, rather than simply destroying them. That being said, there are rare occasions where something either can't be contained and must be destroyed, or the cons outweigh the pros in containing it. The amount of times that the Foundation has actually wanted to and succeeded in destroying an anomaly, however, is extremely small, as many of these things simply can't be destroyed by conventional methods. Today's SCP concerns the Foundation on a bit of a warpath, effectively destroying quite a large number of entities that are generally considered to be gods. As they learn, of course, there are repercussions in doing so, however. The article begins by informing us that in order to assist in the study and response to an emergent containment scenario, all applied metaphysics, tactical theology, and counterceptual personnel have been provided express access to this document. Its clearance level has thus been lowered from level 5 top secret to level 4 secret. The components of SCP-6659 are housed within a high-security, semi-submersible research vessel, constructed from the remains of another SCP to benefit from its various technological capabilities and quasi-anomalous properties. This vessel has been used to facilitate covert research operations, often relating to one or more hostile groups of interest that seek to prevent or manipulate said research. If any hostile party approaches, the vessel will fully submerge, and if any hostile parties manage to board the vessel, a series of explosive charges will detonate along the entire length of the vessel, with most of the crew aboard the vessel aware of this emergency procedure. Before we're told what exactly SCP-6659 is, we're given a short excerpt from an essay written by Dr. John Blake from a book titled Journal of Tactical Theology, Volume 72. The essay, titled A Foundation for Reciprocal Worship, Practical Applications of Human-to-Deity Relations, reads, Gods exist because we believe in them and to make us believe in them. The very nature of our relationship with the divine is reciprocal. We create beings of parahuman ability, whom we then elevate beyond ourselves and imbue with significance. These beings, in turn, rely on this recognition to define the scope and breadth of their influence and existence. Fundamental to this dynamic is the act of worship 
an expression of recognition that embodies the deity in the psychosphere. While gods are real, their existence is derived from and contained within the realm of human thought. Their measurable manifestations in the physical world are restricted to the formation of totemic avatars. Despite this limitation, such conceptual entities are capable of enacting change in the physical world around us, and frequently do so to varying extents, performing miraculous acts, manifesting their presence through omens, and bestowing boons upon chosen acolytes. The extent and nature of these direct interactions are shaped by, and reflect, the worship a deific entity receives from humans or non-human persons. The wills and capabilities of deific entities directly correlate both to the perception of such by humans, as well as their conceptual topography within the psychosphere. We created gods, and in doing so offered them the power and influence to shape their own image, and our perception of that image. Given this paradigm, the question emerges of how an organization such as the Foundation ought to respond to threats posed by deific entities. Thus far, standard operating procedure advocates for preventative measures. Organized religion and acts of worship have been quietly nudged towards conceptualization of gods as hands-off entities, whose involvement in day-to-day affairs is inconsequential or a uniform background presence that stabilizes consensus reality. While this method has been largely successful in ensuring hostile deific entities do not gain significant traction in mainstream culture and religious practices, current reactive measures to emergent threats are often inadequate. As directly combating the existence of a hostile god within the psychosphere is currently infeasible, The Foundation's response to active deific threats prioritizes dismantling systems of worship in the physical world that define and support the behavior of such a deity. However, identification and neutralization of cult formations engaging in active worship of malicious or normalcy-threatening deific entities have seen mixed results with consequences ranging from high mortality rates of assigned operatives and numerous threats to the integrity of the veil. The current method appears unsustainable. Deific entities are not locked to the physical world, including the cultural groups that engage in their worships. Through their manifestation in the psychosphere, they can traverse along lines of conceptual relation, touching and influencing different peoples around the world, inspiring new cult formations which themselves become and or splinter into divergent sects. So, obviously a number of various gods exist in the SCP universe, and while the Foundation manages to keep many of them under control by influencing the religions based around them into viewing the gods as hands-off entities, There are some based around cults that are a little trickier. That's where SCP-6659 comes in, described as a Foundation-designed eigenweapon developed for the neutralization of hostile deific entities. 
This device is composed of three interconnected systems, which function to destabilize a given deific entity's embodied memeplex within the noosphere, preventing their conceptualization and consequently worship. In simpler words, it kills God's good. The first involved system is called the Trismegistus Engine Totemic Signifier, derived from an SCP that was developed for the conceptual mapping of communal human consciousness. This system is employed to map existing relational lines of conceived association between a physical object and applicable mimetic constructs. In its current use, a totem, which is any item that is conceptually associated with a specific deific entity, is inserted into the device which subsequently identifies and traces the boundaries of the relevant deific entity within the noosphere. In other words, it is used to directly locate the god in question, which is where the second system comes in. The second system, called the Geduli Jerry Conceptual Applicator, applies a conceptual framework of universal acceleration to all individual data points forming the mimetic construct. As a result, the data composing the deific entity is accelerated to supraconceptual velocities, whereby the individual components of the mimetic construct can only be conceived in relation to their relative accelerated movement. As a result, the lines of conceptual relations that form the construct weaken and subsequently dissolve, rendering the construct incapable of cohesively existing as an assemblage within the noosphere, and thus preventing any interaction between data points, both external and internal to the construct. Cutting out the jargon then, this part just prevents people from conceptualizing the deity itself. This makes the entity incapable of being worshipped, as you can't worship something that you can't really think about, and the deity is effectively dead because of this. The third system then, the Generation 7 Biomechanical Data Storage Vault, consists of 25 vats containing biomechanical computational devices suspended in artificial cerebrospinal fluid. This system is capable of storing and analyzing mimetic data of conceptually isolated and accelerated deific entities without engaging in reciprocal conceptual relationships, i.e. worship. The computational systems of this component additionally monitor the ongoing processes of the first two systems, while simultaneously providing a digi-noospheric interface for human users to examine and interpret relevant conceptual data. To summarize, the whole device locates and isolates the god, and then cuts it off from human conceptualization, which effectively kills it, while the Foundation can continue to monitor it just in case. Moving on, the document continues with the project that created this device, Project Deacidium. The introductory briefing is written by the two co-leads, Dr. Sandra Milton and Dr. John Blake. Milton states that the initial proposal for this project focused more broadly on the creation of an anomaly employed by the Foundation for the decommissioning of other anomalous phenomena, but the subtext clearly was that they required a means to combat gods. 
the foundation for all of its grandiose notions and ideas remains an institution of bricks, mortar, bodies, and paper. And so they need to know where their limitations are so that they can push beyond them. SCP-6659 is a culmination of that drive to extend beyond the physical. Although the noosphere, or the psychosphere, permeates every aspect of our lives, the Foundation's ability to alter it has been unrefined at best. They require a new approach to accomplish their goals when it comes to non-physical threats, as they've been dying aimlessly in the dark, hoping to pull it off. They need to become the scalpel, capable of exercising specific dangers with negligible damage to those living in the light. That's where Project Deicidium comes in, a way to deal with these mimetic constructs that are worshipped as deities. Those who threaten the Foundation will be contained, their influence and danger mitigated, and the world will keep turning. Dr. Blake, however, says that they shouldn't be too hasty. The notion of worship is not exclusive to what we would typically consider deific entities. Modern society elevates nearly every facet of contemporary life beyond its inherent value and means, including democracy, family, and capitalism. Each of these concepts defines our relationship to the world, and they're all in flux, changing and shifting based on individual minds, informed by their beliefs and their local collective consciousnesses, developing new forms with cultural shifts over time. What exactly is the distinction between such a concept and a deific entity, then? The difference they can point to is that these concepts are inert unless acted upon, responsive to the human, rather than engaged reciprocally. Recent findings, however, indicate that this is a false assumption, and they've begun to see that these concepts actually do respond, influencing us in ways we do not fully understand yet. It's possible that the conceptual entity wishes us harm in order to change our understanding of the world. Even then, though, the distinction is murky, as... A new political theory, relationship to nature, or revolutionary technology may very well straddle this divide. The world can shift and change in response to what were previously assumed to be simply non-anomalous processes and influences. The process of apotheosis, in which someone or something becomes a god, is ill-understood at best. The Foundation claims to know what a god is, intrinsically, if not rationally, but they're ignorant as to how exactly they are formed within our collective conscious. The Foundation itself, which is a secret gathering of people working towards a common goal, elevating the notion of securing, containment, and protection, may not be that different from the faith-driven groups they target. Project Deicidium is necessary, but it is a grave uncertainty, as this is a new relationship between humans and the divine, and the very relationship itself, if elevated via worship, could have grave implications. 
They risk idolizing the destruction of their idols, and they know not what ground they tread in doing so. With all that said though, grave implications be damned, and the testing commences regardless. The first activation of the machine was tested on a deity that has been completely removed from the record, which is a great start. That's not to say that it's been redacted by someone higher up in the foundation, but rather that the text is no longer legible, since they've been removed from human conceptualization. The note for the test states that while the results cannot be verified, it's hypothesized that the activation of the machine resulted in the complete obliteration of its noospheric relations, and thus it any information describing it, and any association it had to any objects or worshippers are now impossible for human subjects to conceptualize. Efforts are underway to refine the process to ensure that the actual objects they use to initiate the process remain conceptual afterwards. The second test goes better in this regard, as they targeted a deity worshipped by the Followers of the Angel's Path, using a shriveled, mummified hand as the totem. The results indicate that the deity was completely destabilized and can no longer be conceptualized, but obviously the worshippers and the totem remain intact. The third test targeted Saint Bernard, using a carton of 2% milk and a crucifix as the totems. This is in reference to a repeated scene in medieval art showing the Virgin Mary feeding milk to Saint Bernard. It seems that the former worshippers of Saint Bernard treated him as a separate deity, and in the aftermath of the activation, the Foundation has been at work to alter the mythology concerning Saint Bernard to conflate with common Christian doctrine. This includes the canonization of Saint Bernard as a Christian saint and the proliferation of art imitating medieval and renaissance artists showing the Virgin Mary scene, suggesting that Bernard formerly had his own connection to milk. Three more activations of the machine have been completely omitted from the record, for reasons unknown, but the seventh activation targeted the Children of the Scarlet King, using a sacrificial dagger as the totem. The results indicate that the Scarlet King itself is gone, unable to be conceptualized by humans anymore. However, due to the high degree of thaumaturgical users in position of leadership within the cult, various small groups have continued to operate afterwards. Surveillance indicates that the anomalous phenomena associated with these individuals are founded upon other thaumaturgic systems and bears no relation to the Scarlet King itself. In other words, the cultists can be dealt with using more traditional methods. What follows must have been pretty routine work for the Foundation, as the machine was activated another 175 times, with all of these activations having been omitted from the record. Activation number 182, however, which targeted a deity worshipped by the Ninth Green Lodge, and used a deer skull as the totem, ended with 
inconclusive results. The first two systems of the machine appeared to successfully isolate and destabilize the deity, but during the review of the data by the third system, a series of cascading errors led to a catastrophic system failure. Six of the vats composing the third system ruptured, with salt water found in the remnants, and a power surge emanating from the first system caused an electrical fire within the machine's control room. The technicians that were supervising the second system spontaneously demanifested, with one of them remanifesting five meters above sea level adjacent to the site, and the other individual remaining missing, presumed deceased. As a result, the operation of the machine has been suspended, with an investigation underway. Doctors Milton and Blake gathered a number of technicians working on the project to discuss their findings in the aftermath. One technician in particular noticed some discrepancies in the data from the third system during the failed activation. The technician clarifies that the discrepancy didn't actually occur during the incident, as the whole system went haywire during that period. He explains that the third system monitors the deity in the noosphere, ensuring that there's no latent activity going on afterwards. They call this baseline state sterile, which means that there's no interaction between data points which previously composed the construct. While reviewing the data, however, they noticed some activity in the data cluster of a deific entity that they'd previously destroyed. The data shows a flurry of activity related to a dead entity over the course of six hours, before the activity dissipated back to nothing, as though it never happened, which is part of why they missed this until now. All relevant data shows that the activation that destroyed this deity was completely successful, with this instance being the only irregularity. While it's entirely normal for new lines of conceptual association to form as human conception expands and changes, their use of the machine should have made this impossible. While it's theoretically possible that this was just a spontaneous, random series of interactions between human consciousness and a dead god, the technician doesn't think that's really feasible. The noosphere is a linked network so things respond to each other, but the individual points within this data cluster were completely isolated. They also didn't just interact along previous lines of relation, but rather formed new ones, which would require this section of the cluster to be actively acted upon, which again, should be impossible. Dr. Blake asks if this suggests that something outside of the human noosphere caused this, which, even if such a thing were possible, humans would have no way of knowing, since we can't comprehend something outside of our realm of comprehension. Blake then asks if they could run some tests to try and isolate what caused this by mapping the new lines of association. Dr. Milton, however, says that not only would that entail engineering new brain computers capable of more complex thought than their own, but it would be very inadvisable due to the fundamental property that they can't know what they're dealing with. 
Blake counters by saying that this is what they designed the machine to do, and why have it if they're not going to target new threats? They've seen what deific entities are capable of, and if this thing isn't responsive to the machine, then they're in the dark. He asks the technician if he can try and isolate whatever the new complex causing the interactions is, but Milton stops him, saying that they're not getting started on this, at least not until repairs are finished. An argument ensues, with Milton stating that they're not just dealing in theory, as there are repercussions, and a man has gone completely missing as a result. She says that a memo came in from the O5 Council, telling them to cease testing for the foreseeable future, and they're sharing information from their tests with other Foundation sites. The project itself isn't shut down yet, they're just hitting pause and getting some more eyes on the situation. Afterwards, Dr. Blake left the conference room in an agitated state, with the rest of the meeting revolving around ongoing repairs to the machine. Sometime later, in relation to a breach incident, a transcript was taken from a security feed inside of Dr. Milton's quarters, showing a conversation between Milton and Blake. Blake apologizes for getting hot-headed during the meeting, saying that he was caught up in his own reaction to the news and was negligent of the larger project. Milton understands, saying that this whole thing has their nerves a little frayed. Blake then asks if he ever told her that he used to be a pastor. He says that he was really convinced that it was what he was meant to do, to spread the word of God. He honestly wasn't too keen on the specific doctrine, but he did believe there was something truly transcendent out there, watching us. That changed when he joined the Foundation, and he finds it funny that learning that gods are real and they're fallible is what broke his faith. The more they study them and understand them, the less they seem like gods. They're able to point to them and say, that's God, right there. And now, with SCP-6659, they can essentially annihilate them. There's nothing wondrous about that, or transcendental. Milton responds that it's always been like that, whether he knew about it or not. It's just that they're now starting to understand how these entities interact with us. Blake understands that, but wonders if there shouldn't be more, and points to whatever caused that strange reaction, which could be something else entirely. Before he continues suggesting what it could be, though, he says that he's just tired and stressed, so Milton says that he might want to transfer off the project or take a sabbatical. Blake, however, says that there's no rest for the godless, and grabs a copy of the meeting's transcript before leaving. Immediately following this, Dr. Blake is seen entering the control room for SCP-6659, where he removes his glasses and seals the door to the room, putting a chair into the rotating locking mechanism to prevent it from being opened. He then turns and faces the security camera and states that his name is Reverend John Blake, 
Until this moment, he was acting co-lead of Project Deicidium, representing the Foundation's Department of Tactical Theology. He is of sound body and mind, and is acting under his own volition. He states that he intends to insert his own head into the machine to act as a totem, in an effort to map the entity responsible for the prior incident. He suspects that mapping the human brain and likeness will reveal a transcendent deity embodying the concept of humanity. To do this, he took Dr. Milton's activation key without her knowledge or consent. He is acting independently, and what he is about to do has been in no way permitted or condoned by any of the personnel at this site. He then proceeds to insert both activation keys into the central console and activates the machine, overriding safety protocols as he does so. He then opens the compartment of the first system of the machine, reserved for suitable totems, kneels before it, and inserts his head into the device. A period of several minutes passes as initiation procedures commence, which is noticed by maintenance personnel who activate an emergency alarm. The scuttle system is primed, which would detonate the entire site, with firing control given to Captain Jones, while crew members are dispatched to apprehend Dr. Blake. Blake begins to mumble incomprehensibly as the machine continues to operate, while personnel grab a laser torch and begin to cut through the door's hinges. Blake's body then begins to convulse, with an unidentified clear liquid seeping from the central compartment of the device, pooling around Dr. Blake's knees. He mumbles about something seeing him, and he can't move, with a tumor of thought having seized him. He says that God wishes to show him, and it's inside. The personnel then manage to open the door, rushing inside to find Blake's unmoving body. An emergency shutdown of the machine is initiated, and the scuttle system is deactivated. Blake's body is taken in for an autopsy, where they find that Various lobes of his brain had undergone extensive and presumably anomalous manipulation, resulting in severe contortions to the tissue of the cerebrum and cerebellum. A large quantity of liquid was found in his mouth, nose, and ears, which seems to be a mixture of cerebrospinal fluid and salt water, the same that was found in the third system after the first incident. Thanks to the technological wizardry of the Foundation, however, they managed to take Blake's brain and generate a transcript of his thoughts during the scan. His initial thoughts were surprise that he was interfacing at all with the device, as it should have just been scanning his mind. His second thought was wondering where his body was, followed by him seeing a sort of infinite space laid out before him, which he believes to be the Noosphere itself. There is a background of darkness, interrupted ambiently by points of soft light. 
some lights drift in all directions, while others beam toward each other, trading places, forming shapes, connections, ley lines. Each one of these lights that he looks at twinkles at him, and instantly he knows something. An immensely small building block of data, a fundamental particle of an applicable concept. There is no scale to this world, and like clouds, everything looks much closer than it likely is. He hears an immensely dim whisper emitting from behind his mind. He turns, or appears to turn, to face it, and it gasps out to him, as if straining. He looks to the sound, but there is nothing to illuminate the space. The lights keep their distance, shine away from the whisper's source. He wills himself to move toward the darkness, and the voice beckons again for him to approach, each heaving breath triggering a flash of dim red, getting stronger as he moves towards it. The points of light wave wildly behind him, shining patterns into his thought. They tell him not to go, to worship them instead, that it is better this way, but he cannot hear them over the Savior's call. He tells the voice that he has kept his faith, and he has always known it to be greater than these idols. As he reaches the center of the darkness, the red billows up around him. He hears a great shrieking in the sky above, and looks up to see an enormous obsidian tower in front of him, formed from the inky black. The tower churns and pulses, with something blurred from the record for being incomprehensible. Its infinite, impossible structure branches out into a web of hundreds of hands, each of its fingers branching into another hundred hands. The impossible scale of God bears down upon him as its hands reach into his mind. At the center of it all, a wet, sliding noise cracks apart the sky, and an enormous eye opens. The hyper-dodecahedron folds in upon itself and impresses the Holy Spirit upon him. The whisper erupts into static and tells him something else blurred from the record. Blake thinks that God sees him and knows his faith. It reaches into his thoughts and his hands scream at him, but his hands are gone with only fingers remaining. He hums as the red fills his vision, and God brings him up closer, pulling him into its maw, breaking down the human structure, and making him an angel of its coven. There is no other option but to offer his mind to it, and submit to salvation. His last thoughts are that God is horrifying. God is beautiful. God is a tumor. And there is nothing else. So, 
it seems that Dr. Blake believed that the entity outside of human comprehension that could influence things mysteriously is actually the one true god. He used only the first part of the machine, the one that lets you find and isolate a deific entity, by using his own brain as a totem. His thought was that the god of humanity would ultimately be the total embodiment of humanity, and by mapping out the human brain and likeness, it would locate this transcendent entity. Unfortunately, it seems that he got a bit more than he bargained for, as the entity he located doesn't seem to have much in common with the typical image of the Christian god. Following the incident, Dr. Milton was confined to her quarters pending an investigation, and the O5 Council appointed Director Placeholder McDoctorate as project lead. There's another section of the document, which starts with a warning that the following addenda materials constitute info-hazardous and highly anti-memetic vectors. What follows is a project update on a new project, known as Prometheum, helmed by Placeholder. In the update, Placeholder states that the Noosphere can be thought of as the set of all ideas humans are capable of conceptualizing. It can also be thought of as a collective consciousness, but much more literally, it is the aggregate of the informational structures contained within all human brains, meaning the sum total of all conscious and subconscious thoughts that humans are having at any given instant. Recent studies go so far as to suggest that every bit of information within human thought space corresponds directly to a unique neuron or category thereof in some number of human brains. What this all means, however, is that it has serious implications upon the consequences of Project Deocidium and SCP-6659. The machine maps out a collection of concepts associated with a deific entity, and alters said concepts so that connections between them cannot form within the noosphere. The individual conceptual elements can still be comprehended, but the overall construct of the deity is no longer perceptible. If these conceptual elements map to physical segments of the human brain, much more is being severed than just deific relations. In the six months since Blake's incident, various forms of mental degradation have been observed in minor fractions of the population, including increased rates of early-onset dementia, aphasia, dysphagia, and acute paralysis. Various disinformation campaigns have been enacted to hide these increased rates, but the likelihood of such developments appear to be vastly more common in individuals whose primary entities of worship were those destroyed by the machine. Evidently, the complex nature of conceptual association is not, and likely functionally cannot be, understood by humans. Essentially, what he's saying is that by more or less destroying these entities that are created and sustained by human thoughts, 
the foundation was also destroying small parts of people's brains that were responsible for creating the entity. What's even more troubling is the entity that Blake gave his life to discover. His final actions represent an unprecedented leap of faith in the direction of an entity beyond conception, one that we should hardly be able to think about. Dr. Blake's faith was shattered by the machine, resulting in a vacuum of worship, but his brain began searching for bigger, more powerful ideas, and the idea noticed. They have forced human cognition to expand into deeper, uncharted waters, and they are unprepared for the horrors which lay there. So, yeah, entities like this exist because human thought gives them substance and power, while the original purpose of the machine was to cut them off from human consciousness, rendering them powerless. What they have now, however, is an entity that exists outside of human consciousness, but one that is somehow being thought of thanks to Blake, which is giving it power. Obviously, Project Deicidium is no use here, and is overall not a good plan of destroying gods due to the unexpected side effects. That's where Project Prometheum comes in, the goal of which is to combat extra-noospheric threats via channeled worship of the ideal of humanity. In other words, they're going to take Blake's concept of a god of humanity and create it. The entity, which is extrapolated from humanity and normalcy-aligned ideals, is to be personified as Titan-class Olympian Entity 014. This deity's identity as progenitor and assistant of human civilization and development, punished unfairly by its brethren, is to be propagated as a mimetic construct by all possible non-disruptive vectors, including manipulation of education systems, entertainment industries, and religious groups of interest, anomalous or otherwise. So, they're going to take this idea of a god, that protects and watches over humanity, and turn it into the next big religion, giving it more and more power. The entity is obviously based on Prometheus, the titan in Greek mythology that stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity, known for being a champion of humanity. Throughout all this, the entities that exist outside of the Noosphere will be generally ignored by as many Foundation personnel as possible, while still maintaining efficacy in Project Prometheum's operations. Once this religion based around Prometheus has escalated to the point where he has become a proper god, systematized large-scale prayer by Foundation personnel will begin, in order to locate potential hostile extra-noospheric entities and isolate them into human-safe fragments. These fragments will then be targeted in tandem by both Prometheus and SCP-6659, taking extreme care to re-render them dormant. Then, these dormant components of human thought space are to be restructured into either the Prometheus memeplex 
or another humanity and normalcy-aligned ideatic construct. The Noosphere's gaps are to be filled and fortified such that it possesses the necessary cognitive defenses to handle higher-order concepts. So far, a composite of selectively human-safe fragments of the entity encountered by Dr. Blake has been located, and rendered into a highly anti-memetic iconographic depiction. We're then shown an image of the depiction, which shows a star inside of a circle, surrounded by hands, along with various other stars around it. The following ideatic complexes have been targeted. Quinary mathematical operations, meaning fifth, the primordial ideals of rage and violence, the perception of many disparate points as composing some larger shape, i.e. constellation, the arbitration of optimistic ideals into unreasoned-slash-indefensible motivations, i.e. defeatism, and something else that has been blurred from the record, no longer comprehensible by humans. In order to get a full understanding of what all went down here, we need to look at the text that has been blurred out throughout this document, due to being removed from human comprehension. This starts with the very first activation of the machine, which turns out to have been quite a doozy. The Foundation targeted a deity worshipped by a group known as the Disciples of the Unseen. The totem they used for this one was actually an SCP, one you're likely familiar with, SCP-055. SCP-055 is known as the quintessential anti-meme, something that simply cannot be recalled in any way by human minds, so any information about it just slips right through and is forgotten instantly. What this document reveals, however, depending on headcanon, of course, is that SCP-055 is actually the skull of the last monarch of a human subspecies known as Homo sapiens invisibili. This subspecies coexisted with normal humans until their latent anti-memetic properties became evident, leading normal humans to systematically wipe them all out over the course of the 19th century. In other words, this was a species that all possessed anti-memetic properties to a degree, and we wiped them out. Some sort of cult, however, continued to worship them, creating a hostile entity in the Noosphere, one obviously opposed to us normal humans. When the skull was put into the machine and activated, however, the normal process of the machine began to go haywire, and rather than just preventing the entity from being conceptualized, it actually booted all of the conceptual information out of the Noosphere entirely. This means that any information about SCP-055, the subspecies, the cult, and the entity are no longer able to be conceptualized by humans. The Foundation, now left with just a weird anti-meme, tossed it into storage, and simply continued on their way with SCP-6659. 
The second instance of blurred text is from Blake's thoughts during his incident, when he views the great obsidian tower formed from the inky black. The text states that the tower churns and pulses with something, which is actually the will of, followed by what can only be described as a form of squiggly line. While this symbol is actually a part of the Telugu language, in the SCP universe it corresponds to a single entity, SCP-3125. 3125 is a hostile memeplex that exists outside of human comprehension and is associated with fifthism. It is the ultimate anti-meme, an entity that is only partially intersecting our universe, and if anyone becomes aware of its existence, they are utterly obliterated, along with pretty much anyone the person is close with. It's easily one of the most threatening entities in existence, and now it seems the Foundation is unwittingly in a battle against it. The entity whispers to Blake that no god he could ever conceive could compare to it, and it reaches into his thoughts and makes him know his purpose. The last text blurred at the very end is one of the complexes the Foundation has started targeting, which is the exhilaration of severing a finger from a squirming human hand, i.e. transcendence. Ultimately though, knowing that the entity in question is SCP-3125 doesn't really matter that much for the overall article, as the point is that, once again, the Foundation tried to come up with an easy solution to a big problem and stumbled into something even worse. The fact that the solution itself turned out to be not that great since they were destroying parts of people's brains in the process is just icing on the cake. Placeholders said it best though, in that they're now in deeper, uncharted waters, and they're unprepared for the horrors that lay there. <laughs>